Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. These are all energetic this morning. Um, I hope that you guys are well. Um, for any of you that haven't, we haven't met before, my name is Heather, and I have been part of this church community for a number of years now. Just as a way of a small introduction to me, um, during the week I run a youth project called Bambridge Youth Initiatives. Um, so I spend most of my days in a youth centre, running programmes with young people, out on the streets on Friday evenings, talking to young people, um, and in local schools in Banbridge as well, which I just love. Um, I live in the metropolis that is the village of Dramara. Um, if any of you have been there, you will know it's amazing. Um, Genuinely, there's very little happening in Dramara most of the time, right? Like, the most exciting thing that happened in Dramara to me in the last year was that a tractor reversed into my car and totally wrote my car off, right? And you know that whenever you're describing that as being exciting, that it's pretty boring, you know what I mean? Um, but I do love living there. It is a beautiful place um, to live. I have also been studying for the last couple of years through WTC, which is the theological college that's based here in church. And whenever I'm not doing all of that, I am probably out on a paddleboard somewhere, probably Castlewell Lake, or drinking a cup of tea with someone, or eating a wee cheeky Nando's, because who doesn't love a wee cheeky Nando's? Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's a wee bit about me. Um, genuinely, it is my privilege to be finishing off our summer series this morning called Walk This Way. And if you've been here over the summer, you will know that our series has been all about how do we form godly habits in our discipleship that are stronger than the habits that are formed by the culture around us. So to put it another way, how does what God is doing within us become stronger than that which is being formed in the world around us? In his book, Beautiful Resistance, John Tyson sums this up when he says this, discipleship must be stronger than cultural formation. Loyalty must be stronger than compromise. This must be stronger than that. And we've heard continually throughout this series how culture asks us to compromise on the values that are important to God and values that he sees are important in our discipleship. And so that's why in this series we have looked at various habits in our lives and we have thought about, for example, how does rest become stronger than busyness in our lives or how do we become stronger in our love than in our hate or how do we form habits of spiritual hunger instead of apathy and, and so on. And so today we are going to finish off this series by considering how is loyalty 
stronger than compromise in our lives? How is loyalty in our relationship with God stronger than all of the compromises the culture would want us to make? And so to do this today, we're going to look at three moments in the life of the disciple Peter. And we're going to move through these passages quite quickly today. So instead of looking up passages as we would do normally and look up one passage, what I would say is jot these passages down in your phone, have a look at them later on, um, and study them a wee bit more in depth. But today we're going to move a wee bit quicker. So as we look at these three moments in the life of Peter, we're going to think about, first of all, how God's loyalty awakens something in our lives, which compromise often tries to take from our lives, but surrender reinstates to our lives. So God's loyalty awakens something in our lives that compromise often tries to take from our lives, but surrender reinstates to our lives. So let me just pray as we get started this morning. God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. And God, we pray, would you open our eyes today to see what you want to reveal to us through your word. God, we pray, would you come and settle our hearts and our minds as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, whenever I say the word loyalty, I don't know what for you comes to mind. Whenever I talk about loyalty or ask you, like, what are you most loyal to in your life? Maybe you would think about a partner, maybe you would think about a family member, maybe you would think about a football team that you support or a hobby that you dedicate loads of time to. Maybe, like me, you would think about your favorite restaurant, Nando's, and know that your Nando's card actually proves the loyalty that you have to that restaurant. Um, whenever I was preparing this talk and thinking about what loyalty looks like, I kept thinking about a situation in July whenever I was at summer camp with our young people. Um, so each year, Youth Initiatives runs a summer camp where we bring together young people from all our different Youth Initiatives or YI hubs. And so we had like 300 people on site, 230 young people, 70 staff and volunteers, and really it's an opportunity to bring together these young people, whether they be from a Protestant background, whether they be from a Catholic background, and encourage them to build relationships and mix with those that they wouldn't normally um, be engaging with. And so whenever we arrived at the campsite and our girls were getting settled into their tents, I immediately began to notice that there was a wee bit of tension between our group of girls from Banbridge and this group of girls from West Belfast. Now, let's just say this was not an ecumenical matter, okay? If any of you know Father Ted, you'll understand that reference. This was not an ecumenical matter because actually our young people in Banbridge are quite mixed. We have loads of Protestant and Catholic young people together. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't because of good relations or anything else that these young people were fighting. They basically just decided they didn't like one another. And so I began to notice these wee sly digs or wee sly comments being made. And of course, I said to both group of girls, 
girls, we need to learn to get on with each other, you know, you need to chill out, basically, I didn't say that, but you need to chill out, and you need to learn to get along, because that's what this is all about. Um, but then after a couple of hours, one of the girls came and got me and said, Heather, you need to come to the campsite, all the girls are fighting. And so I went up to the campsite, right? And of course, our girls and this group of girls from Belfast were just going at each other. And really the only word to describe it was slobbering. They were just slobbering at each other. Do you know what I mean? And so they were all slobbering at each other. And I was like trying to calm the situation down. Their youth worker came along. She tried to calm the situation down. But whenever we were like asking, like, what did this all start over? They said that it started over two words that one of my girls had said, which was simply, your da, right? And that was enough to like all these girls to go into meltdown, right? So it wasn't even like the classic Northern Irish, your ma's your da and your da sells Avon, right? It was like the abbreviated version of that. Now, I do not condone using that insult, by the way, um, but it wasn't even that. It was just two words, and it was enough to set these girls off. Now, eventually, we got all the girls settled down. They all calmed down, and yeah, they were grand, but I don't think they liked each other, but they got on with each other, you know, just for the sake of the camp. But in this moment, as I thought about loyalty, like, what I saw from these girls could only be described as fierce loyalty being demonstrated. Now, was their loyalty being displayed in a positive way? Of course it wasn't, you know. But underneath all their behavior, I could see that there was this fierce loyalty amongst them. And I knew that these girls would have done anything to protect one another, to stand up for one another, and to look after one another. And this is the type of loyalty I believe that we all long for in our lives. Right across this room, there are many of us that know what it is like to have lived on the receiving end of fierce loyalty like that. And actually it's brought real joy into our lives and in our relationships with other people. <clears throat> but on the same hand, I'm aware that there are many of us who also know what it is to have experienced such heartbreak and pain whenever we have not encountered this type of fierce loyalty from those who are closest to us. And what that tells us, because we are made in the image of God, what that tells us is that if this is a desire of our hearts, it's not just something that we care about, but loyalty is something that God deeply cares about. And so to consider this, as I said at the start, we're going to look at the life of the disciple Peter. And firstly, we want to consider how God's loyalty awakens something in our lives. To summarize this story in Luke chapter 5, um, first of all, we meet Peter, who is a normal guy who is making a living as a fisherman. And this story in Luke chapter 5 is all about how Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple. And in this chapter, Peter is washing his nets after a long night of fishing where he has caught nothing. 
And Jesus, who is teaching on the shore, first of all, asked Peter if he can borrow his boat to make like a makeshift pulpit so that he can teach the crowd. And Peter agrees to this and he begins to listen to what Jesus is teaching. But then afterwards, Jesus says to Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And Peter responds to Jesus by saying, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And so when Peter does this, the nets are so full of fish that they begin to tear. And both his boat and his partner's boats were filled with fish to the point of sinking. And so Peter's response to this, to Jesus, is to fall on his knees before him. And he says, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. He was awestruck by what had happened, but Jesus tells him not to be afraid because now he is going to fish for people and Peter leaves everything to follow him. In this story, right from the moment that Peter meets Jesus, he has this posture in his heart which says, because you say so, because you say so, I'll go and do it. And whatever you say, I will go and do. Whatever you go, I will follow. And I believe that when Peter heard Jesus teach the crowd, he thought, Jesus carries authority. I will do what he says. And this is why he gets to see this insane miracle take place. But as we read this passage, I think we can tend to focus on that. We can tend to focus on how Peter is loyal from the start. And it is true that he has this willingness to do whatever Jesus wanted. But I think that we can miss in this moment also how Peter was encountering the loyalty of God towards him. When we witness a miracle just like Jesus did here and we see heaven and earth collide, God's loyalty is put on display and it becomes personal to us because we're on the receiving end of his loyalty and it also becomes personal to the people around us because they see the loyalty of God displayed firsthand. And in that moment, it is impossible to be in a moment like that and for something not to be awakened in us. In the Old Testament, God is described over and over and over again as being loyal. The word that is used to describe his loyalty in the Old Testament is this Hebrew word, hesed. And the word hesed appears over 250 times in the Old Testament because right from the beginning of the story, God wants his people to understand that he is a loyal God. Now for us, this term hesed is often translated as one word. So whenever it shows up in our Bibles, it is either the word loyalty or loving kindness or mercy. But actually we can miss the vast meaning of this word because it is translated into one wee word in our Bibles. And so one author, this guy, Michael Card, um, he writes a full list of things that this word hesed can be translated as, a full list of things that this word can mean. And so this list is going to come up here on the screen. I'm not going to read out every single word to you, but I want you just to listen to some of these words that describe the loyalty of God. So he says, hesed, the loyalty of God, 
It could be described as love, loving kindness, loyal love, sure love, relentless love, extravagant love, love in action, dependable love, true love, miracle love, generous love, great love, marvelous love, love, loyal in love, steadfast love, expression of love, unfailing love, faithful love, tons of love, covenant love, covenant faithfulness, covenant friendship, covenant commitment loyal loyalty loyal faithfulness great loyalty loyal service kindness merciful kindness everlasting kindness miracle mercy generous mercy compassion persistent faithfulness reliable solidarity extravagant generosity immense favor working generously generous yes endlessly patient devotion stick with me stick by stick with unlimited unconditional unconditioned love for all of creation And so when we think about what God is like and his loyalty, that is what is meant to come to mind. That is what we are meant to think of whenever we think about the loyalty of God. And so in this moment, Peter is encountering this overwhelming his seed, the loyalty of God in a way that he couldn't have imagined. And and as I said, whenever this loyalty is on display, something is awakened in him. This author, Michael Card, who wrote that list, he goes on to say that his best definition of God's loyalty in our lives is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That is what Peter is encountering here. That's why he says, leave me, Lord. Like, I am sinful. He's saying to Jesus in that moment, you have given me everything, even though I deserve nothing. And it changes his whole life around. And so Peter, from this moment on, because he has encountered the Hesed, the loyalty of God in his life, he begins to live with this fierce loyalty towards Jesus. And to use a phrase that's often been used in this community, he is someone who is all in in his relationship with Jesus. And so it's not surprising that Peter then becomes a leader amongst the disciples. And even in Jesus's inner circle of which he is a part, Peter is always the disciple that is listed first. And we see continually so many times in the gospels, times when he puts this loyalty on display. So for example, he's often the first person to um, be in line to, like the first person in line to step out. And as I would say, risk it for a biscuit. He is the first person who's always steps up and says, yeah, you want me to walk on water? I will walk on water, Jesus, because I trust you. He's, he often asks Jesus questions that the other disciples were afraid to voice. And he became almost like a spokesperson for his group of friends. He also is someone who understands who Jesus is. And on more than one occasion, he talks with depth and insight about Jesus being the son of God. And so it's not surprising that there's this day whenever um, some of the wider group of disciples were leaving Jesus. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave me as well? And he says, Peter turns around and he says, to whom else would we go? 
It's not where else would we go, but it's literally to whom else would we go. Peter is loyal in his relationship with Jesus. He's not following a set of standards or religious beliefs. He is following a person, and it's a person who he trusts. And so genuinely, he becomes this person who is all in. And yet we know as we move on to this second moment in Peter's life, we know that near the end of Jesus's life, before the crucifixion, Peter has this moment where he compromises and denies Jesus after he is arrested. And at the Last Supper, Peter tells Jesus, like, Jesus, like, I am willing to go to prison for you. I am willing to die for you. And Jesus turns around and says, um, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And when Jesus is arrested and taken to the high priest's home, Peter follows along at a distance. And when a servant girl recognizes him as being one of Jesus's followers, Peter says, woman, I don't even know him. I think that sentence shows why woman is the worst way to start a sentence. Like woman, I don't even know him. And three times to different people, just as Jesus prophesied, Peter denies that he knows him. The guy who Jesus' church was meant to be built upon turns around and says that he doesn't even know him. And like this isn't the only moment of compromise in, in Peter's life. It's not that he's lived this perfect uh, journey of faith. He has argued with other disciples at times as to who was the greatest. He used violence against other people. He's been rebuked by Jesus many times. So it's not that this is the only time that he has compromised, but I think that this moment feels significant, especially at the end of Jesus's life where the stakes are high and Peter denies even knowing him. Now, why does he deny him? Well, it's most likely that there was an intense fear that was associated with um, those who were surrounding him. Basically, they were afraid that the authorities, whether it be because of persecution or death, that they would end up in one of those types of situations. And Peter, instead then of saying, so because of fear, instead of saying, I'm all in at this moment, he says, I'm out. I believe in this moment for Peter, this does not feel stronger than that. Loyalty in him does not feel stronger than the culture around him. And just like that, a moment of compromise tries to steal something away from Peter. And I think it's easy for us not only to um, say we are shocked by Peter's behavior, but it is also easy for us to look at this passage and say, well, like, I would never do that, right? Like, in our hypocritical sense, we're just like, I would never do that. And yet, all of us know what it is to have these moments of compromise where culture feels stronger than loyalty within us. Whether it is moments of self-protection or moments of self-promotion or moments of self-satisfaction, we all know what it is to compromise in our journeys with Jesus. And it's only when we face moments where we feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and pray for someone in our office who is complaining of a bad back and we don't go and do it, or we fail to mention to someone in uni what we were doing at the weekend, even though 
like when they ask us like what we at, we fail to mention that we were a church or we don't talk about the hope that Jesus has brought to our lives when a family member talks around their struggle about mental health or we fail to turn off that TV program or our laptop when we know we need to fix our eyes on something else. And it's only in these moments that we realize the culture around us really does feel stronger than the loyalty within us. I remember one time sitting in Groin Coffee Shop beside TK Maxx in Lisburn a couple of years ago, and I really felt, I was just sitting doing some work, and I really felt in this moment that I needed to go and pray for this man in the queue. And I felt like I had a word of knowledge that there was something wrong with his hip, now, I am not somebody who gets words of knowledge, and I'm not somebody who knows specifically what's wrong with people, and so I sat there really being like, I don't want to do this. Now, I would love to say that the story ended with me going over and like praying for this guy, and his hip was healed, and it was all class, but actually what ended up happening was I sat there for about 15 minutes because the queue was really, really long that day. And I think that God, in even making the queue long, like, was trying to give me an opportunity um, to do what he wanted. But I continued to sit there and I was like, no, God, I am not doing this. And I often think about this story as almost like the hip that got away, right? Like this wee man's hip. I still to this day don't know if he has a bad hip or not. Um, he wasn't like hobbling or anything out of ground and I was sort of using that as evidence of like, see God, he doesn't have a bad hip. But, um, but actually in that moment, that moment of compromise robbed me of something. It robbed me of my obedience to God. It took away my joy of stepping out and leaning into risk. And ultimately, I chose to do what I wanted and not what God wanted in that moment. And so there is good news for us, even when we have gone through moments of compromise, because as I said at the start, surrender reinstates that which compromise has tried to take from us. And so despite this moment of compromise in Peter's life, Peter has one other moment with Jesus that shows how surrender to him once again reinstates what compromise has tried to steal. So in John chapter 21, Jesus has died and the disciples have returned to fishing, like they've returned to what they always knew. And there's this amazing moment when Jesus comes along the beach and tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter immediately recognizes, like, this is Jesus. And he jumps into the water and swims to shore to see him. And after they all eat together, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. He says, do you love me? And he asks him this question three times. And each time Peter answers him and says, you know that I love you. And Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. Jesus also then tells him and alludes to the fact that later on in his life, he will in fact do what he originally said he would, which is to end up dying for his faith. And this is one of my favorite moments throughout the Gospels because I love how it shows that no matter how much we have compromised, no matter where the situations that we have got ourselves into, Jesus loves it when we return to him and we surrender to his loyal love all over again. 
This final scene of Peter surrendering to Jesus once again mirrors the scene of Peter denying Jesus. So three times he denied Jesus, but three times Jesus offers Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his loyalty to him. And I think that Jesus does this so that every time in the future, whenever the enemy comes and whispers in Peter's ear and he thinks to himself, like, I just let him down. I wasn't there when he needed me the most. This moment would always be the moment that trumped that moment where he knew forever it was etched in his memory that he in fact had said to him three times, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. This is another moment of his seed for Peter when the person from whom he had the right to expect nothing gave him everything. And therefore he surrenders to Jesus once again. And it shouldn't surprise us to learn that Peter did actually end up dying for Jesus as he talked about because of this fierce radical loyalty that he had experienced and wanted to live out in his life. And so just as the band comes back up and begins to play and we respond, I think that there are three groups of people in the room today who identify with these three moments in the life of Peter. First of all, I believe that there are some of you in the room today and you identify, whenever I was talking about the loyalty of God and I read out that list about the loyalty of God, I believe for some of you, something was awakened and stirred in your heart today. And it might be that it was stirred and awakened for the first time and you wanna think um, and talk to somebody today about becoming a Christian and making that commitment to Jesus. But for others, of you in the room, I feel like it's maybe just God stirring afresh the sense of loyalty that he has towards you, and he wants you to experience that loyalty today, and I feel like there might even be people within that group, and if you were really honest with yourself, you would probably say in this moment today, I don't know if I believe that God is loyal. I really felt this um, the day that Emma Harris spoke about love over hate and she talked about forgiveness and situations in our lives that um, have been painful and how we need to learn to forgive other people. And I feel like for some of you, you maybe have a situation or something that you've walked through in life and you think, well, actually, I don't know if I believe that God really was truly loyal to me in that situation and I think God wants to do something around that today. The second group of you, I believe there are some of you in the room today and you know firsthand what it feels like to have compromise um, where compromise has stolen things from your life and you're aware of areas that you're compromising in. And it might not be that it's something that has been talked about in this series, but you know in and of yourself, there are areas of self-protection or self-promotion or self-satisfaction in your life that are damaging you. And I believe that if that is you today, God wants to speak to you about his loyal love. And then thirdly, I also believe that there's a group of you today 
And just like that moment where Peter surrenders to Jesus once again, you feel prompted to surrender to him. It might be that you have followed close beside Jesus. It might not necessarily be that you feel there's um, areas of compromise in your life, but you sense that this season, there is something that God is stirring in you and around you about surrender. And just like Peter, or just like Jesus did with Peter, where he affirms you're called to go and feed my sheep. You are called to lay down your life for me. I believe that some of you feel like that is where you're at today. At the beginning of every year, I always ask God, what are you saying to me about this year? And at the start of 2020, what, or at the start of 2022, one of the things that I felt like God was saying about this year, I felt like he said this phrase to me, which was renew your voice. And it was linked for me to this moment I had whenever I was 16 at a youth conference. And I'd been going through this process where I was learning how to surrender everything to God. I was already a Christian, but I knew that God was asking more from me than I was probably willing to give in that moment. And so I had been working through this with a few people. And then I had this moment at this conference, a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I ended up praying this prayer that's almost acted like a baseline to my life. And it is this, what Whatever it takes, it takes. Whatever it takes, it takes. And in that moment, I said to Jesus, like, you can have whatever. You can take me wherever. You can call me to whatever. I will do whatever it takes. And for some of you, I feel like there are maybe a few of you in the room today and you feel stirred once again to surrender your life to him. Whenever I felt like God was saying that again about this year, I felt like this wasn't just something for me, but this is something for some other people as well, that you know that God is calling you to a greater level of surrender um, once again. And so... As we respond, what I would love for you to do is just invite you to stand in this moment. And what I would invite you to do is just to close your eyes. And if you wanna open out your hands, there's a posture that you're open to what God is wanting to say to you today and do in you today, please do that. I feel like there are some of you in this room and you know today that you need to respond to him. You know that God wants to pour out his loyal love upon you this morning. There are some of you that know there are areas of compromise where you know that you need to lay that down before him. There are some of you and you know that this is a season of surrender. And God wants to take you back to those memories of times where you have committed to him in the past. And he wants you to, wants to reawaken something in you from that season.
And so if you are part of our prayer team here, if you're a tribe leader, I'd love to invite you to come to the front um, if you're not responding yourself um, to pray for um, some people that I feel are going to respond to this today. So um, if you are in our prayer team, if you want to make your way up to the front, and what we would say is this, come and be prayed for today. Don't leave this place in the same way that you came in. If there is something in you stirring, please come and get prayed for by one of our teams.